Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This is going to be for section 50. I'll start by reading the heading, and then we get into some historical background here. Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet at Kirtland, Ohio, May the 9th, 1831. Joseph Smith's history states that some of the elders did not understand the manifestations of different spirits abroad in the earth, and that this revelation was given in response to this special inquiry on the matter. So-called spiritual phenomena were not uncommon among the members, some of whom claimed to be receiving visions and revelations. During all dispensations, when the gospel has been on the earth, Satan has devised ways to counterfeit revelation. The prophet Joseph Smith observed, soon after the gospel was established in Kirtland and during the absence of the authorities of the church, many false spirits were introduced, many strange visions were seen, and wild and enthusiastic notions were entertained. Men ran out of doors under the influence of this spirit, and some of them got upon the stumps of trees and shouted, and all kinds of extravagances were entered into by them. One man pursued a ball that he said he, he saw flying in the air until he came to a precipice when he jumped into the top of a tree which saved his life and many ridiculous things were entered into, calculated to bring disgrace upon the church of God, to cause the Spirit of God to be withdrawn, and to uproot and destroy those glorious principles which had been developed for the salvation of the human family. John Whitmer wrote, Some had visions and could not tell what they saw. Some would fancy to themselves that they had the sword of Laban and would wield it as expert as a light, dra- uh, as a light dragoon. Some would, light, some would act like an Indian in the act of scalping. Some would slide or scoot on the floor with the rapidity of a serpent, which they termed sailing in the boat to the Lamanites, preaching the gospel, and many other vain and foolish maneuvers that are uns, unseeming <clears throat> and unprofitable to mention. Thus the devil blinded his, the eyes of some good and, and honest disciples. I write these things to show how ignorant and undiscerning children are and how easy mankind is led astray, notwithstanding the things of God that are written concerning his kingdom. Parley P. Pratt was also a witness to these unusual operations. All these things were new and strange to me and had originated in the church during the absence and previous to the arrival of President Joseph Smith from New York. Feeling our weakness and inexperience, and lest we should err in judgment concerning the spiritual phenomena, myself, John Murdoch, and several other elders went to Joseph Smith and asked him to inquire of the Lord concerning these spirits of manifestations. And that was out of the autobiography of Parley P. Pratt. In the spring of 1831, several individuals in and around Kirtland, Ohio, claimed revelations for the guidance of the infant church. Confusion was the result. Parley P. Pratt and other elders called on Joseph to find out how members of the church were to discern such spirits. This revelation came in response to that request. Uh, Parley P. Pratt said, As I went forth among the different branches, some very strange spiritual operations were manifested, which were disgusting rather than edifying. Some persons would seem to swoon away and make unseemly gestures and be drawn or disfigured in their countenances. Others would fall into ecstasies and be drawn into contortions, cramp, fits, etc. Others would seem to have visions and revelations which were not edifying and which were not congenial to the doctrine and spirit of the gospel. 
In short, a false and lying spirit seemed to be creeping into the church. All these things were new and strange to me and had originated in the church during our absence and previous to the arrival of Joseph Smith from New York. Verse 1. Hearken, O ye elders of my church, and give ear to the voice of the living God, and attend to the words of wisdom which shall be given unto you, according as ye have asked, and are agreed as touching the church and the spirits which have gone abroad in the earth. Behold, verily I say unto you, that there are many false there there are many spirits which are false spirits, and which have gone forth in the earth deceiving the world. Delbert L. Stapley said, The prophet Joseph Smith taught, Nothing is a greater injury to the children of men than to be under the influence of a false spirit when they think they have the Spirit of God. How true this statement is and how important to know correct church doctrine and procedures to prevent stumbling along one's life. Uh, to prevent stumbling along life's way. It is a great blessing and gift to be able to discern and choose rightly between truth and error. In April 1842, edition of the Times and Seasons contained an article written by the prophet titled, Try the Spirits. Among other things, the prophet said, It is evident from the apostles' writings that many false spirits existed in their day and had gone forth into the world, and that it needed intelligence which God alone could impart to detect false spirits and to prove what spirits were of God. The world is ignorant of such things, he said, because they are known only by the Spirit. The Egyptians were not able to dis discover the difference between the miracles of Moses and those of the magicians until they came to be tested together. And if Moses had not appeared in their midst, they would unquestionably have thought that the miracles of the ma magicians were performed through the mighty power of God, for they were great miracles that were performed by them. A supernatural agency was developed and great power manifested. There always did, in every age, seem to be a lack of intelligence pertaining to this subject. Spirits of all kinds have been manifested in every age and almost among all people. If we go among the pagans, they have their spirits. The Mahadans, the Jews, the Christians, the Indians all have their spirits, all have a supernatural agency, and all contend that their spirits are of God. Who shall solve the mystery? Try the spirits, says John, but no one can try his own, and what is the reason? Because they have not a key to unlock, no rule wherewith to measure, and no criterion whereby they can test it. Could anyone tell the length, breadth, or height of a building without a rule? Test the quality of metals without a criterion, or point out the movements of the planetary systems without a knowledge of astronomy? Certainly not, and if such ignorance as this is manifested about a spirit of this kind, who can describe an angel of light? If Satan should appear as one in glory, who can tell his color, <clears throat> his signs, his appearance, his glory, or what is the matter, what is the manner of his manifestation? That was by Joseph Smith. In answer to this question, the prophet said it could not be done without the priesthood and a knowledge of the laws by which spirits are governed. Verse 3, And also Satan hath sought to deceive you, that, it, that he might overthrow you. Reed Smoot said, I believe that the time will come when every ordinance of the gospel will be initiated in some form or another by the world, and this should be a testimony to every soul that Mormonism is from God. I think that sooner or later the evil one will try to imitate everything in the church of God. I sometimes think I can see into the future and see many denominations accepting parts of the revealed truth and trying to imitate perhaps one or more of the ordinances of the true church, and I believe the world will have to ultimately acknowledge that Mormonism, as they call it, is exactly the same as the church that Christ placed upon the earth, and that it is from God. <clears throat> Verse 4, Behold, I, the Lord, have looked upon you, and have seen abominations in the church that profess my name. 
But blessed are they who are faithful and endure, whether in life or in death, for they shall inherit eternal life. But woe unto them that are, the, are deceivers and hypocrites. Hypocrite is an actor or someone pretending to be spiritual that is not. For thus saith the Lord, I will bring them to judgment. Behold, I say unto you, behold, verily I say unto you, they are hypocrites. There are hypocrites among you who have deceived some, which has given the adversary power, but behold, such shall be reclaimed. But the hypocrites shall be detected and shall be cut off, either in life or in death, even as I will. And woe unto them who are cut off from my church, for the same are overcome of the world." Wherefore, let every man beware, lest he do that which is not in truth and righteousness before me. President Joseph Fielding Smith taught, From the time of the fall of man until, until now, Satan and his followers, who were cast out of heaven, have been deceiving men. Today, as in the beginning, Lucifer is saying, I also am a son of God, believe it not, and men today believe not for the same reason that they refused to believe in the beginning. Some commandments are of men, so the Savior informed Joseph Smith. Some commandments are of devils, and these are also made manifest largely through the activities of men. These false spirits make themselves manifest in various ways, and in all communities, some of the most startling and prevalent forms of false manifestations are in the false gift of, gifts of tongues and in religious meetings, particularly among some sects where the worshipers fall in fits, shout, sing, and pray in disorderly fashion, sometimes frothing at the mouth and their bodies partaking of unnatural contortions. Verse 10, And now come, saith the Lord, by the Spirit unto the elders of his church, and let us reason together that ye may understand. Let us reason even as a man reasoneth one with another face to face. Now when a man reasoneth, he is understood of man, because he, he reasoneth as a man, even so will I, the Lord, reason with you, that you may understand. Wherefore, I, the Lord, ask you this question, unto what were ye ordained? To preach my gospel by the Spirit, even the Comforter, which was sent forth to teach the truth. We should know better when a false spirit comes forth. We have been ordained to teach, not to be taught by someone else. Verse 15. And then received ye spirits which ye could not understand, and received them to be of God. And in this are ye justified. Behold, ye shall answer this question yourselves. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto you. He that is weak among you hereafter shall be made strong. Verily I say unto you, he that is ordained of me and, and sent forth to preach the word by, of truth by the comforter in the spirit of truth, doth he preach it by the spirit of truth or some other way? And if it be by some other way, it is not of God. Charles W. Nibley said, Now I want to say that the presidency of this church, the Twelve Apostles, the Seventies, the leading brethren in the stakes and wards and missions, can build up this church only by the Spirit about which I have read to you. In no other way can it be built up, assuredly not by the Spirit of man. Churches may be established, lodges may be organized, many organizations formed by the help and benefit of man, and many of them do much good too, and are praiseworthy, but they have not this distinctive feature that this church has, which was revealed in the beginning and is emphasized, iterated, and reiterated all through the revelations, namely that without that spirit of light and truth, that spirit of the Lord, that spirit of the Comforter, that power of the Holy Ghost, his church cannot be built up. If it be attempted by any other way, then the, then the Lord speaks of here in this passages, in the passages which I have read, then it is not of God. So let us take it to heart. All of us who labor for Zion must know and understand that we must keep that influence and that power which comes from God in our hearts, the light of his spirit burning in our hearts, burning in our souls. Verse 19. 
And again, he that receiveth the word of truth, doth he receive it by the spirit of truth, or some other way? If it be some other way, it is not of God. Therefore, why is it that ye cannot understand and know that he that receiveth the word by the spirit of truth receiveth it as it is preached by the spirit of truth? Wherefore, he that preacheth and he that receiveth understand one another, and both are edified and rejoiced together. The teaching of gospel doctrine should always be an edifying experience. When both are edified, then it is most likely true doctrine that is being taught. I remember once when I was uh, in a position of responsibility, I was going to teach the High Council <clears throat> some principles uh, of leadership. And I used for those um, a book that's uh, pretty common, pretty well-known, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I thought that that would be a great, um, pr- those would be, would be great principles to teach the High Council. And so I remember preparing lessons and the very first night, I, I was going to do this over a seven-week period, and over the over the time I, I prepared these lessons, the very first night I was given the this discussion to the members of the High Council. I must have been into it for about 10 minutes, and the Spirit said, this is not what you're supposed to be teaching. Uh, not that the seven habits aren't good to know. It's just that for people in church callings, it was uh, principles of the gospel that were to be taught, not principles of the world. And so I was reminded that I was supposed to teach uh, the principles of, that Jesus would teach about his attributes to the members of the high council and not uh, not worldly teachings that would ha- that would bless them in their calling. So even though it was it was a good discussion and, and good topic, it was not something that the high council was to be taught. That was not being taught by the Spirit. So I was rebuked by the Spirit and, and uh, chastened for doing that. And so uh, we, we discontinued that um, those lessons. Verse 23, And that which doth not edify is not of God and is darkness. Anciently, the verb to edify meant to build sacred edifices such as temples. Through the years, the word edify has come to describe the process of improving character or building spirituality. All that is of God edifies, that is, it lifts, builds, and improves. Conversely, to edify is to eschew that which demeans, belittles, or excuses. To edify is to make the body and soul of man a a holy tabernacle, a temple of God. If a doctrine does not offer the opportunity to reach, to build, or to improve, it is not of God. And that was by Joseph Ely McConkie. Teachers of the gospel should never say they are being the devil's advocate. You can't teach light with darkness. Joseph Smith said, Others frequently possess a spirit that will cause them to lay down, and during its operation, animation is frequently entirely suspended. They consider it to be the power of God and a glorious manifestation from God. A manifestation of what? Is there any intelligence communicated? Are the curtains of heaven withdrawn or the purposes of God developed? Have they seen and conversed with an angel or have the glories of futurity burst upon their view? No, but their body has been inanimate, the operation of their spirit suspended, and all the intelligence that can be obtained from them when they arise is a shout of glory or hallelujah or some incoherent expression, but they have had the power. The shaker will whirl around on his heel, impelled by a supernatural agency or spirit, and think that it is governed by the Spirit of God. And the jumper will jump and enter into all kinds of extravagances. A primitive Methodist will shout under the influence of, of that spirit until he will rend the heavens with his cries, while the Quakers or friends, moved as they think by the Spirit of God, will sit still and say nothing. Is God the author of all this? If not all of it, which does he recognize? Surely such a heterogeneous mass of confusion never can enter into the kingdom of heaven. That was Joseph Smith. 
Verse 24, that which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Many in the religious world of our day profess to have been saved as a result of a particular religious experience. Their assumption is that because someone once stood in the light, they will always stand in the light. This does not always prove to be the case. The greater flaw in such reasoning, however, is found in the assumption that whatever light they stood in constitutes the fullness of the light of heaven. Such an assumption would at best be foolish. Even then, to bask in gospel light is one thing, to follow the light of the gospel quite another. For those choosing to follow the light, it becomes brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Thus, salvation becomes a journey rather than an event. The journey requires us to advance from grace to grace and refuses us the right to say that any religious experience is of itself sufficient. That was by Joseph Fielding McConkie. Joseph Smith said, We consider that God has created man with a mind capable of instruction and a faculty which may be enlarged in proportion to the heat and diligence given to the light communicated from heaven to the intellect, and that the nearer man approaches perfection, the clearer are his views, and the greater his enjoyments, till he has overcome the evils of his life and lost every desire for sin, and like the ancients arrives at that point of faith where he is wrapped in the power and glory of his Maker, and is caught up to dwell with him. But we consider that this is a station to which no man ever arrived in a moment. He must have been instructed in the government and laws of that kingdom by proper degrees until the mind is capable, in some measure, of comprehending the propriety, justice, equality, and consistency of the same. I think that that should be scripture, it seems to me. Anyway, verse 25, And again, verily I say unto you, and I say it, that you may know the truth, that you may chase darkness from from among you. He that is ordained of God and sent forth, the same is appointed to be the greatest, notwithstanding he is the least and the servant of all. Wherefore he is possessor of all things, for all things are subject unto him, both in heaven and on the earth, the life and the light and the spirit and the power sent forth by the will of the Father through Jesus Christ his Son. But no man is possessor of all things, except he be purified and cleansed from all sin." Joseph Smith said, We believe that God condescended to speak from the heavens and declare his will concerning the human family to give them just and holy laws, to regulate their conduct and guide them in a direct way that in due time he might take them to himself and make them joint heirs with his son. But when this fact is admitted that the immediate will of heaven is contained in the scriptures, and we are, are we not bound as rational creatures to live in accordance to all, that, to all its precepts? Will the mere admission that this is the will of heaven ever benefit us if we do not comply with all its teachings? Do we not offer violence to the supreme intelligence of heaven when we admit the truth of its teachings and do not obey them? Do we not descend below our own knowledge and the better wisdom which heaven has endowed us with by such a course of conduct? For these reasons, if we have direct revelations given us from heaven, surely those revelations were never given to be trifled with, without the triflers incurring displeasure and vengeance upon his own head, if there is any justice in heaven, and that there is that there is must be admitted by every individual who admits the truth and force of God's teachings, his blessings and cursings, as contained in the sacred volume. Here, then, we have this part of our subject immediately before us for consideration. 
God has in reserve a time or period appointed in his own bosom when he will bring all his subjects who have obeyed his voice and kept his commandments into his celestial rest. This rest is of such perfection and glory that man has need of a preparation before he can, according to the laws of that kingdom, enter it and enjoy its blessings. This being the fact, God has given certain laws to the, to the human family, which, if observed, are sufficient to prepare them to inherit that, this rest. Back to the scriptures, verse 29, And if ye are purified and cleansed from all sin, ye shall ask whatsoever you will in the name of Jesus, and it shall be done. But know this, it shall be given you what you shall ask, and as you are appointed to, as the head, the spirits shall be subject unto you. Wherefore it shall come to pass that if you behold a spirit manifested that you cannot understand, and you receive not that spirit, you shall ask of the Father in the name of Jesus, and if he give not unto you that spirit, then you may know that it is not of God. And it shall be given unto you power over that spirit, and you shall proclaim against that spirit with a loud voice that it is not of God. <clears throat> we should speak out against evil and not just sit there. Heber J. Grant said, I remember that some of the elders over in England had re rented a hall on one floor of a building where spiritualistic mediums had their seances. They kept inviting the boys to come to their meetings. It be, it, I told them to stay away, saying, You cannot handle a nasty, dirty stovepipe without soiling your hands, and you have, no, you have no business to be on the devil's ground, so stay away. You know you have the truth. Go on proclaiming and living it, and then let them alone. Finally, the boys pleaded with me to let them go. I said, All right, you can go, but on one condition. <clears throat> it was a night meeting. That is, that you do not eat anything that day, and that you go there fasting and praying to the Lord to prevent them from carrying on their spiritualistic operations. I rejoice in the testimony of President Wilford Woodruff. One night he was at a meeting where they had been having remarkable spiritualistic manifestations. Brother Woodruff went there and rebuked the spirits and commanded them not to operate through this medium. Finally, after they had been assembled for some time and had a Quaker meeting, the man who was the medium came down off the platform, walked through the audience to where Brother Woodruff was, shook his fist in his face and said, You are the man who is opposing me and preventing me from doing anything here. Brother Woodruff said, Yes, I have the priesthood of God and have rebuked the evil spirits. They pleaded with Brother Woodruff to please leave, and he did so, and they had the devil's own time all right. Back to verse 33. Now with railing accusation, accusation that ye be not overcome, neither with boasting nor rejoicing, lest you be, be seized therewith. Joseph Hiller McConkie said, We cannot fight darkness with darkness, evil with evil, or that which is petty with pettiness, for by so doing we concede the victory to the very influence that we oppose. Teaching this principle, Jude tells that Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. In this story we find Michael, the commanding general in the army of the Lord, standing face to face with the prince of darkness to contend over the soul of Moses. Apparently Satan claimed Moses to be under his dominion because he had killed an Egyptian taskmaster, while, Satan, while Michael claimed him a citizen of the kingdom of God as a great prophet and prototype of Christ. In this confrontation, Michael sets the example for all who fight in the army of the Lord by refusing to respond to the adversary in his own spirit. Verse 34, He that receiveth in, of God, let him account it of God, and let, it, let him rejoice that he is accounted of God worthy to receive. And by giving heed and doing these things which ye have received, and which ye shall hereafter receive, and the kingdom is given you of the Father in power to overcome all things which are not ordained of him. And behold, verily I say unto you, blessed are you, 
who are now hearing these words of mine from the mouth of my servant, for your sins are forgiven you. Let my servant Joseph Wakefield, in whom I am well pleased, and my servant Parley P. Pratt, go forth among the churches or branches and strengthen them by the word of exhortation. Shortly after this statement was made, Joseph Wakefield was called on a mission with Solomon Humphrey. On this mission, they baptized George A. Smith, who would become the youngest apostle to be called in this dispensation. Thereafter, Wakefield became critical of the prophet, having seen him leave his sacred duties or sacred studies and play with some children, feeling that this was incompatible with the prophetic office Wakefield left the church. Verse 38, And also my servant John Corill. Here John Corill is called to labor in the Lord's vineyard. A month after this, he was called to travel to Missouri with Lyman White. Prominent in the affairs of the church, Corill faltered during the Missouri persecutions and was excommunicated in 1839. Or as many of my servants as are ordained unto this office, and let them labor in the vineyard, and let no man hinder them during, their, during that which I have appointed unto them. Verse 39, Wherefore, in this thing my servant Edward Partridge is not justified. Nevertheless, let him repent, and he shall be forgiven. Apparently, Edward Partridge was doing or had done something to interfere with the elders, filling their missions, filling the missions to which they had been called. Verse 40, Behold, ye are little children, and ye cannot bear all things now. Ye must grow in grace and in the knowledge of the truth. Fear not, little children, for ye are mine, for you are mine, and I have overcome the world, and you are of them that my Father hath given me. And none of them that my Father hath given me shall be lost. My sheep hear my voice, Christ said in the Meridian day, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. How is it then that some who are faithful cease to be so? Is it true that no power can pluck them out of the hand of the Savior, but it is equally true that he will not prevent them from leaving, should they choose to do so? While the commitment of the Father never wavers in the blessing and sustaining of his children, the commitment of his children often falters in their loyalty to him. That was by Joseph Philly McConkie. Verse 43, And the Father and I are one. I am in the Father, and the Father in me. And inasmuch as ye have received me, ye are in me, and I in you. Mariner W. w. Merrill said, If we let the cares of the world envelop our minds to such an extent that we lose interest in the work of the Lord, we are in a pitiful condition. But if we place first and foremost our obligations to the church, then we have a good chance to remain in the church and to remain and to retain our fellowship with each other. And when we have fellowship with each other, we have fellowship with the Spirit of the Lord, which will direct us in all our ways, and we will be preserved in the truth with our families. Some of our families perhaps are wayward. They do not do as we would like them to do. Is not this the case in many families? There are sons and daughters whose course does not give satisfaction to their fathers and mothers. What shall we do about it? Do the very best we can, but see to it that we have not been the cause of their lack of integrity in the work of the, of the Lord. I believe through our faithfulness and our entreaties with the Lord, we may be the means not only of saving ourselves, but those the Lord has entrusted to us as sons and daughters. The Lord is merciful, and he will hear our prayers and grant our desires through our integrity for him and his work. And peradventure, through our faithfulness, our children who are wayward and who perhaps have strayed away will come back to the fold by and by, because the Lord will hear us in their behalf. Verse 44, Wherefore, I am in your midst, and I am the good shepherd and the stone of Israel. He that buildeth upon this rock shall never fall. And the day cometh that you shall hear my voice and see me and know that I am. As subsequent revelation will affirm, the promise to hear the voice of the Lord and to see him is literal, not figurative. 
That was by Joseph Ely McConkie. Orson F. Whitney said, It is not given to every man to look upon the face of God as did Moses, as did Joseph Smith. One must be specially prepared before he can see what Joseph saw. I do not expect the Lord to manifest himself to me in the same way that he did to Joseph the prophet. I expect him to communicate with me through the gifts he has endowed me with, not through those with which he has endowed my brother or sister, unless they have the right to receive for me a message from him. When the Lord speaks to me or to you, it will be in a method and manner justified by our preparation, our gifts, our powers, for we have all been endowed in some degree. Verse 46, Watch, therefore, that ye may be ready, even so. Amen. I bear testimony of the truth of these things, and as we study the Doctrine and Covenants, we might gain a better understanding of of, uh, how we are to behave and to do those things that are pleasing to God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. See you next time. Goodbye.